live here at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. That would make me terrible, Troy. I'm Treacherous Trista. And we're joined by Scary Scott Bradley. <laughs> nice. Hey, everybody. Hellbent for horror, and he's author of Screaming for Pleasure, which is right up here. How, how horror makes you happy and healthy, which I think is something all of us here and all of us watching can agree with. That's wonderful. I love when I find my crowd, right? That's, that's how I find them. I say that and they go, yes. And I'm like, okay, here we go. But I also love talking to people who don't get it. You know, okay. uh, you know, I'm at conventions and stuff. You would be stunned how many conventions I go to and I'll be across the hall, be like a science fiction convention. And they have a little TV wing for the horror folk. And so we're on our little tables in the corner and you'll just see these people look across and go, then they'll come walking over <laughs> and they'll go, I don't like horror. It's like, you came all the way over here to tell <laughs> me to that. Tell you that like, yeah. Just to tell me that. And, and it's like, great. Well, you know, when I talk to people <laughs> who love horror, they spend about 20 minutes at my booth. People who don't like horror spend about 20 minutes at my booth <laughs> because everybody's passionate about it. And when you start getting people talking about it, they realize that they have a very narrow view of what horror is. And horror is like the Nile. You know, it's like the Nile River. You have so many tributaries, especially at this point that uh, it's crazy how much uh, horror influenced the culture and how much the culture influences horror. Uh, I mean, it really is the commentary, the ultimate commentary that you've got going and it's fun, you know, and, and I don't have to worry about a horror movie killing me, but I have to worry about everything else out there. Yeah. And I like the, in your book, you mentioned it too, about uh, horror is very diverse. And uh, sometimes I see people online will fight over something's horror or not, but uh, like you said, you know, it could be co comedic, it could be dramatic, it could be just bl blood and guts. There's all different types. Yeah. My, my new thing that I say now is that horror is uh, Frank's red hot sauce. You put it on anything and it just yep. builds it right up. It just yeah, it it's a perfect it. mix of things. Yeah. And I liked how that kind of tied into later in the book when you talked about how sometimes they'll try to hide that something's horror when it starts to get up for Oscars. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That's, that's my big, my big horror thing. I get, uh, I, I have a show that I've done called my horror manifesto. My big thing is horror does not deserve your shame. And it's like uh, horror affects all sorts of, uh, of different forms of genre. I mean, it's it, the reason it's so cool is that it has allegory and metaphor built right into it. It's, it's hand made to be able to speak about things that we're uncomfortable about uh, without smelling like burning tires. Like I might not want to watch a drama ever about the insurrection, but I may watch vampires attack <laughs> the Congress and stuff. I could go for that. Uh, and I think that uh, it happens a lot where um, people just don't like horror fans, I think. And they don't like the neighbor's the neighbors that there are, if you're a, someone who loves a horror movie, you go, ah, oh, but now I have to admit that I like Friday the 13th. No, I don't want that. And so they come up with these different ways to make these. It's a little bit like what George Carlin said about war. Where he said in World War One, it was shell shock. Two, two syllables and it told you all about what it was like to get uh, into war and bombs going off. And then they put uh, battle fatigue, oh, an extra, uh, extra uh, synonym there. And what that does is it gets you further and further away from the danger. Battle fatigue just sounds like you're tired now. It's not like bombs going off. And then in the end, he goes, post-traumatic stress syndrome. We have so many syllables in there that it no longer, we're so far away from the, from the horror that it no longer matters. And I think that you have that happen with genre uh, labeling. I hate labels. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think uh, poison needs to be labeled. Other than that, <laughs> I think everything else, uh, it, it really is a limiter. It's a good outlook. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I've met you a million times. I've had like arguments with people on uh, social media when they they'll get mad, like uh, you know, uh, Predator. They'll say isn't a horror movie. It's oh. action. It's like, well, yeah, it's all those things. Well, why is it? I mean, it's about an yeah. alien who's killing people one by one. Right. It's pretty horrific. Right. Why can't you say horror? What's the problem with saying horror? And, and my thing is that they think that it's low class, uh, that it's for mouth breathers, that it goes for lowest common denominator. And my thing is. Horror has a specific purpose, right? It's not here to share your half a sandwich with you at, at recess. It, it, it is the, 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 the place that we go to remove some of that shadow that we got in us. Everybody has this dark side. We get to have a safe handshake with it. And I always like that Jungian thing where he basically says, you know, you know, you can ignore that shadow self at your own peril. And you see people who ignore it. It's like uh, right now we've got two celebrities on trial uh, for weeks because they didn't work on that shadow self. And all of a sudden it comes to the forefront. You've got politicians, all sorts of people who get on TMZ because they're just not looking at that part that they need to feed. And then it, it's like a spoiled brat comes up, makes all these, this big mess in your life. But it's also a thing of, I find my tribe. Uh, I uh, also find that I have a sense of humor about things because you got to look at this stuff with a certain amount of tongue in cheek. I mean, uh, we're laughing at the things that fear uh, make us scared. Uh, I think that uh, horror allows me to, uh, to survive things that I may not want to ever be in. I think comedy and horror are kind of the same in some ways, only some. I don't want to get into trouble with my, my stand-up comedian friends. They'll kill me if I say that they're the same. But uh, the thing that they do have in common is they both love surprise. They live and die on whether they can surprise you. But that surprise either gives you a laugh or a scream. And comedy is like watching someone do things that you could never get away with and get a vicarious pleasure from that. And horror is you get to watch people endure things that you never want to go through, but have a vicarious pleasure in that. And I think on the other side, it makes you feel a little bit better. But people have a real horror hard on about uh sorry about that we're we're good with uh yeah you can say whatever you want. okay yeah so I'll try not to be too <laughs> i'm surrounded by all these massachusetts guys that's gonna do it the east coast is, is coming through <laughs> yeah. but yeah, um, the northeast thing happens yeah northeast is right <laughs> so uh you know uh for me uh i think that the people have an issue with uh labeling or, or or horror in and of itself because of what it, it works on those sordid things but to me it's an important part of us i don't think horror should be used for other things stay out of horror's way and say that it's bad and there's no such thing as a bad emotion it's how you deal with an emotion that i think is so important so i uh, may regale a little bit too much in the dark side but at the same point i don't become my dark side in fact most people that i know that i go to conventions they're happy people oh, they yeah. had a pretty miserable first act in their life but their second act is pretty freaking cool they're having a great time and uh you know they don't get it the folks that need to change the uh the the stuff basically what they want to do is anytime there's a movie like the shining or the witch or it follows or anything uh that's really like the cursed even which i thought was really good uh yeah these movies uh they'll call them something else once they start getting those little yeah, golden statues they're, they're elevated horror or they're elevated oh my god or, yeah, throw yeah. throw people off the elevated horror. <laughs> go to the top floor and throw them off the elevated horror. i hate that because to me it's that's one of the problems that we have too as horror fans we're just as bad as the critics because we sit there and say well that's not real horror because it didn't scare me and it's like 
guys, we got to unify. It's yeah. all horror and it's so general, so, mm. uh, so broad. What scares me may not scare you. What scares you might put me in a coma. I have no idea. <laughs> right. uh, and, and so it's not the same. It's not really about being scared. It's about being surprised. It's about being engrossed. It's about losing ourselves in that imagination. Uh, it's allowing ourselves to go into that dark, uh, what is it, uh, uh, the forest that you hear in the hero's journey. Horror is the, the forest. Horror is a dark forest. And we all need to go through it at some point. And uh, some of us, uh, we're ready for it a little bit better uh, than others. And that's fine if you don't like it, but please don't change it into a thriller because you like the movie. And to me, it's like, if there are, uh, if you change the, the uh, genre every time that there's an exceptional horror film, that means there are never any exceptional horror films. You're removing anything that you consider classy so that you keep us in the, in the, in the grotto, right? In, 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 the, in the slums. And to me, that's, that's the real problem that I see with it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, as you can tell, I can just wax on and on. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to add, uh, I thought the, a good combination about comedy horror too, where they're, they're the best movies, I think, to watch with a group of people. Oh, God, yeah. There's uh, some interaction there. Yeah, I It'll love it. bring and a I, lot of people in. Yeah, yeah, you can I mean, share in the experience. Yeah, exquisite stuff. I mean, there's uh, some of the great ones are like Return of the Living Dead, which I, I think most people consider a classic. But I think even turkeys can be great. One of the things that I think is really interesting about genre fans, there aren't a bunch of people who are drama fans that get together and go, <laughs> we got to watch Jiggly. We got to watch Bonfire <laughs> of the Vanities. Yeah, like a rom-com convention. Yeah, they're not, yeah, there's no rom-com convention <laughs> and they don't watch tepid, to really bad dramas yeah. it's like they don't get That's together to go wow yeah we don't do uh, they don't do that but genre fans we do we are somehow connected to the element of surprise but it's also very diy what i think we we get is that the people who are making these for the most part there are some cynical folk but the people who are making these things are us they it's like punk rock people just jumped up on the stage grabbed the grabbed the uh the guitars and fucked up for a year until they figured out how to play them and we supported them and it was that whole thing of you are me i am you you're speaking my language and it's a universal language that i think really makes it so that we can watch the turkeys and yeah there are people who mock them like i don't like the medved brothers and the golden turkey thing i think that they were being snide mm -hmm. but i get together with friends and they're doing it this weekend i'm not going to be able to make it but turkey day in may six movies that are just really howlers <laughs> that are horror movies. You know, like we watched, uh, what was the one that I love? Blood Freak. Have you ever seen Blood Freak with the guy who uh, smokes pot and then he gets a turkey head and goes around murdering people? Blood Freak, no. Amazing, no, amazing. I don't think I've seen that one either. Oh, you must see it. It's so great. And you, and when you watch the end, think of me. <laughs> but uh, but it is, it's, it's, it's fun, it's enjoyable. And we, we relish in the fact that it may be, you know, silly and stuff like that but we we empathize more than we do mock and i think that's something that we have that we want to see everything we're so excited by the ability to be able to be surprised one more time and that's that's where i'm going now because i've had so many fucking arguments with people about oh that's not scary that's not a horror movie because it didn't make me jump once personal shopper not a not a horror movie i'm like think about what's in that movie you know and you'll see yeah it's not your traditional horror film in the way that if you're looking at this but mr james is writing ghost stories a century ago that were just like that and so that's that's part of our genetics and that's fine if you don't like it but please 
stop saying it's not hard. So for me now, not scary doesn't matter. It's really, are you surprised? Do you feel that dread? Do you feel that uneasiness? Do you feel that suspense? Because I don't even know what a thriller is. Does anybody know what the <laughs> definition of thriller is? Yeah, I've never really understood that one either. Uh, yeah. So it's great to have it, I guess. But, uh, you know, they can keep some of it. <laughs> but uh, there are other things that I think, you know, uh, yeah. uh, horror is the only one that's actually an emotion, right? It's the only genre that's named after an emotion, and yet it gets knocked all the time. Uh, Andrew brings up, uh, he just throws out his personal favorite uh, comedy horror is Street Trash, which is a very... Oh, yeah. Fuck. Boy, did that movie bother me when I first <laughs> saw it. I mean, I was mad. I saw that back in the 80s when it came out, and uh, the director bought a Steadicam. So he was in like School of Visual Arts at the time, and uh, uh, oh my God, what's his name? He, was, he did Document of the Dead. Uh, I, I just want to throw out real quick to Ryan Kruger was on the show, did uh fried berry. He's actually right now in, um, in, at cons, uh, pitching a remake of, uh, of street trash. Really? Oh my God. Nice. I don't even know what that would look like. I mean, <laughs> that's like, I, I, I mean, it's what I love about street trash is that it's so cruel and hilarious. Like that's a cruel movie. That's a, <laughs> that's a down the river manhattan movie right like you were saying I mean, earlier it actually has a, has a lot of social commentary too it's actually you know talking about things you know within this this gross out you know horror oh movie. yeah yeah and uh, the effects are fantastic oh. for a for a small movie like that and yeah he he bought a steady cam and said fine ray frumkes that was it roy frumkes was his teacher who also did document of the dead the documentary and he said go ahead kid and so they gave him some money and he made street trash instead of doing whatever he was doing in school so to have a teacher who says, listen, you know, you might get a screenplay out of this it's, it's SVA for the same amount of money that you buy this Steadicam. And, and now Muro doesn't do horror anymore, but he's a Steadicam operator. He, he, I think he won for Dances with Wolves. He did the Steadicam oh, wow. work in there for the Buffalo thing. So he's got an entire cottage industry that he's got going on that. But Street Trash is where we know him. It's like Sam Raimi. We know where we know you from. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or Peter Jackson. Yeah, Peter Jackson. Oh, uh, how, so you tell me, what was it like when you first saw Bad Taste? When did you see Bad Taste first off? Well, well I, when I was uh, pretty young, got it from the V store my favorite was uh, yep. uh, is um dead alive, alive yeah. But, uh, oh yeah. yeah dead alive's amazing really the thing i we had the uh the main guy from dead alive on the show a couple times oh really and he told Super me that, nice guy. that peter jackson always wanted to make the sequel because he loves it and so i was like what the hell i'm gonna see if he'll come on the show so i contact him and he was like i i didn't think i'd even get a reply but i got a reply that he was interested but he's currently making uh king kong and i was like oh okay Oh, wow. Well, there we go. <laughs> Got a little movie. I'm working on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's something else. Uh, there are, uh, there are directors that, you know, you know, that they, kind of got saddled with horror and they're a little bit grumpy about it but they've reserved they've aligned themselves with it but then there's the guys that are just like you know they've been fans forever and jackson's just one of those i love that he's insanely talented and just tasteless (laughs) and and he has so much taste at the same time so he can Mm. he can go all over that's why i love del toro i say that del toro if he didn't exist we'd have to invent him because he's like everything that I wanted to ascribe to, but, uh, you know, he did it. And I think that it's amazing that he, I, what I love about him is kind of like what I loved about Harlan Ellison. They're really smart guys. They're not afraid to be smart. 
and they're not yeah. afraid to love what they love. And, you know, if you're my age, you spent a lot of time uh, going like this, getting, you know, picked on because you were believing in this silly stuff all this time. And, and uh, you know, I also grew up at a time when uh, critics were everything. And critics said that the movies will change the world. I'm like, great, let's talk horror movies. Like, not those. <laughs> what are you talking I, about? I grew up watching, you know, you, uh, Cisco and Ebert. <laughs> and I still enjoyed them. And I found out about a bunch of movies I probably wouldn't have found out otherwise. But they're actually kind of made me laugh how mad they would get at horror movies. Like they would take them really personally. Oh, like, yeah. Like Friday 13th Part 4, he was saying, <laughs> like, yeah. It, like young people grow up and think this is how the world is. And I was like, who the hell is going to watch Friday 13th Part 4 and think this is how life <laughs> is? My favorite was uh the review that he did for uh well it's one of my favorites but it was night of the living dead so i think it was for reader's digest at the time he was doing articles for reader's digest people forget that that was a movie that came out during a time when horror movies were considered greasy kid stuff so vincent price and stuff they, they were saturday morning matinees they would show cartoons and stuff and then they would show the movies they showed Night of the Living Dead at a Saturday matinee in Manhattan. And there was like a, a kitty riot. People like, ah! kids <laughs> are going insane, not knowing what they're looking at. Naked women running around and people eating intestines. And so he wrote about it like it was a Vietnam, like a, the attack of the Tet Offensive. <laughs> He's watching like something happening in Vietnam. And he was saying, these kids are staggering out. And I'm like, that's funny. But what, a, what an amazing war cry. And the thing is, I think, Ebert, uh, Cisco did feel like he was, you know, always th uh, thinking a little bit high up. But I think Ebert, I mean, he made a movie with uh, Russ Meyer, right? right? He wrote some weird screenplays. I think he loved movies and he didn't like movies that were lazy. You know, so like Santa Sangre, when he did a whole thing on Jodorowsky's Santa Sangre, which is really a giallo slasher. Uh, he uh, he was like, this is a magnificent movie. And Jodorowsky understands that movies are so important. You don't bore anybody. And uh, and so I think he was a fan. He just wasn't a fan of uh, the glut. And I think sometimes he did like Romero used to say that uh, Ebert would try and give uh, say, can you put makeup on me? Can I be a, a, a zombie in the background? <laughs> there are a couple guys. I, I forget who the other uh not Saris. Saris would never do that. But uh, there were a couple critics that, that were like, hey, you know, I, I may have trashed your last film, but I'd really like to be a zombie. <laughs> uh, so the sense of play and no bad publicity, I think sometimes Ebert did raise the stakes. But I also think he was tone deaf as well. Uh, he missed it on I Spit on Your Grave, which weirdly enough, I think it's a paradigm shift because now... Uh, many women that I know that uh, I consider feminists, they consider themselves feminists, love that movie, the rape revenge film that that movie is. They say it's a tough watch, mm -hmm. but it's so much better than so many other films. And it's, so it's interesting how that was a movie that really kind of attacked the male gaze because of how long everything goes and what the end is like. And the reason that uh, Maya made that film was he found a woman who was abused and took her to the police and, and uh, they didn't believe her and it really hit him to the, to the core. You can feel that in that movie. 
And I think that uh, Ebert was pretty much into the male gaze, right? So he was like, why am I looking at this disgusting stuff? And uh, so, you know, uh, I, I think all those guys in the long run, if you come up with a really cool thing, sometimes they fell for it. Sometimes yeah. they loved it. Yeah, I mean, he really liked Devil's Rejects. And yeah. uh, I think he liked, liked Last House on the Left, which is yes. odd, but yeah. Strong cup of coffee right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I did make a note, by the way, uh, and you brought him up, Harlan Ellison. That's one of my brother's favorite uh, people. So uh, oh. I, I should get along. Yeah. Yep. Whimper awesome. of Wimp Dog. Whip, uh, Whimper of Whip Dogs, one of, one of the best. Oh, uh, yeah. Like horror that isn't horror. Yeah. Uh, what was the one that I loved in Strange Wine? Uh, Croatoan. Oh yeah, that's such a yeah. great one. There, there's an eerie uh, comic, I think that. Um, oh no, it was Rock God, which is kind of similar, but they they do that in one of the old Warren magazines, and I yeah. think uh, oh. I, I can't remember who it was. It was Neil Adams. He does the illustrations. Yes. Really nice. Yes. Oh my God! Now we're talking some great. <laughs> start talking Warren magazine. Oh was, yeah, yeah. I came in at the very end of. Uh, famous monsters when it was no longer about monsters it was like all about star wars and shit so i mean i love star wars but it's yep. not famous monsters yep. and so uh warren creepy came in and eerie and creepy and those were like the magazines for me i was like oh, oh man, yeah this is really, really tremendous something else. and uh, i mean we're talking about horror filmmakers and stuff and at trista we have uh, someone who has acted in these things uh i have to i, I think i always whenever I, I talk to you i i wax your car about human race which i think <laughs> is friggin' amazing Thank you. Thank you very much. But it's not about me. So I want to make sure I mention um, Shattered and Splinter, which is um, an anthology that you contributed to. And I know that the proceeds go to a great cause. So can you talk a little bit about that and uh, where people can pick it up? Sure, sure. Let me uh, real quick. So Shattered and Splintered is an anthology, 20 different authors doing short stories. Uh, and uh, Stephen Graham Jones and folks like that are in there. And then there's these weird outliers like me uh, who end up in there. And uh, it's the proceeds are going to help uh, volunteer fire departments in Colorado. Uh, most uh, importantly, the Glen, uh, Glen, Park, Glen Haven, I'm sorry, the Glen Haven Volunteer Fire Department. So what people forget about uh, these violent wildfires, of course, incredibly crazy and insane. We certainly know about them here, uh, is that volunteer fire departments still exist. And they live on, uh, every fireman there or fire person there is uh, someone who uh, has a regular job. So when they go to do a fire, like a wildfire, it can take a week, two weeks to fight those things. They're not at work. They're not getting any kind of uh, uh, compensation. And those places live off of like bake sales and things. The fire departments literally at times don't have money. And when I talked to the Glen Haven folk, they were saying that they were on one ply toilet paper and two of the firefighters that they had were in turnout gear, the bunkers, the big fire bunkers that people wear uh, that were no longer rated. In other words, they were old and <laughs> expired. Oh. So they're covered but they're not seriously covered the nomex is no longer holding i was going that's crazy so a friend of mine uh got in touch with them because they famously saved the uh stanley uh hotel from the fire stanley's famous because that's where stephen king went and sat around and got the idea for the shining and i can understand it after after being there you know, walking those halls. And I got to see his place 217 is the room he was in. And, uh, you know, 
so they saved that. It seemed like a pretty cool thing to do. Uh, we were going to the Bram Stoker Awards. And so everybody was flying in anyway to Colorado. We said, uh, my friend, I had very little to do with it. I started writing something. But uh, my friend was going, yeah, we're putting this thing together. Would you write for it? We're all going to show up. Uh, everybody's going to get their day early. People can pay a little bit of money. All that goes to the, ca uh, to the charity. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll have a, some fun with this. And I was like, oh, sign me up. First off, I'm an ex-firefighter. Uh, I was a firefighter in the, in the Air Force. So uh, I, it was something near and dear to my heart. And so they had me do the introduction as well uh, for, that, uh, for that book. And what I'm doing now is because I don't have it right in front of me, I'm, I'm playing for time to see if I can get the, uh, it's AEA, uh, there it is, uh, Shattered and Splintered. You can get it at the aeapress.com. Uh, page. They have several books there. That's the editor. Uh, and, but Shattered and Splintered, anything that goes uh, that, uh, any books that we sell, all the proceeds are going to that fire department. I think we made about $10,000 in one day for them. Nice. And it was really, really nice. We're hoping to continue to get them more and more. And in fact, we're starting to do charities. Uh, my friend, and I'm just kind of tagging along on the coattails. Uh, uh, anytime that we're going to be doing anything with the uh, Stoker Awards, uh, whatever city that they're going to be in, they're going to be in Pittsburgh this upcoming year. Uh, we're going to see about putting out a, a collection and seeing about making money for them. And for that, it's going to be the public library system, which I don't know if you guys know this, but Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania has the greatest, uh, I think it's the best library system in America, which makes it one of the best in the world. And so you can basically make a degree for yourself, you know, slowly but surely using the library system, the entire area, not just uh, Pittsburgh city uh, proper, the entire area gets to use them. So we're doing that kind of thing. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I love uh, that uh, I, I wrote this little weird story called the reliquarians and, and uh, I had a lot of people come over and ask me to, to, to sign the book and that it's helping somebody else, which is nice. Yeah, very cool. That's great. Yeah, and I'll put the uh, link in here in the uh, in the description and on the website. Thanks. I mean, some of the stories are great. I don't know if any of you guys know, like Vincent Benacava. He's a bizarro horror uh, writer. He has a, 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 a story called Head on a Plate. <laughs> just, just amazing. It's, it is exactly what it says it is. It's snakes <laughs> on a plane. But the, the story is laugh out loud funny. And He's very fitting for without your head, <laughs> head on a plate, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Head on a plate. So there we go. We we bring it right back around. <laughs> <laughs> and also throw out there, do support your uh, your library. I'm a member oh, of yeah. uh, Sandwich Library here and, and the Boston Public Library. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I do Bay Area as well. And uh, that's another really good one because there's so many cities like like uh, Boston. I mean, my gosh, you have all those cities just racked and stacked there. So if you're all in the same system, that's really great. Yeah. Yeah, the last couple of years during the pandemic, I've listened to many, many audiobooks through the uh, through the public library. So have I, and uh, <laughs> that's one of the great things is that it got me reading again and listening, yeah, no. because uh, you know, going insane with my own voice, <laughs> very easy to do. Yeah. So uh, I was interested because a lot of the books you listed in your in your book, uh, "Screaming for Pleasure," were ones I've listened to recently, and uh, for me personally, I think probably the best horror book i've ever i think i don't know how to how to put this it's the best horror book and movie combined is the exorcist where some books are way better than the movie or, or very rarely but sometimes reverse that 
but that's one where i don't think you can argue the movie or the book so it's oh man yeah that's uh, that's a great choice and i also wanted to stop and thank you for actually reading the book it's oh, exceedingly yeah. rare <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of it? Shattered and Wacky? What's the name of your book? <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had all sorts of things my book's been called. So having someone actually take the time to read it, that, that means a lot. And uh, yeah, the, the, I think books, uh, I'm not sure, but you can have a raise of hands. How many people saw a movie that corrupted them, a horror movie corrupted oh, them yeah. before they read a book? Right, right. I mean, yeah, book is really where most of us end up getting, you know, freaked out first because we're not allowed to go see r-rated movies we have to sneak but if you read you get to go through a whole bunch of stuff I, my dad was functionally illiterate so he thought all books were homework and so uh, i was in a strict religious house couldn't see a lot of things but i got a library card so i got jaws there's a nasty sex scene in there, or a, little, a hot sex scene. I was like, oh my God, books are wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I found that I was able to read some things that I was too scared to watch. Uh, the Exorcist didn't matter. It was scary to read. It was scary yeah. to watch. Yeah. And it is one of those rare ones where, you know, I, I often say that bad books make good movies. Good books make bad movies. It's not absolute. But I think a lot of times there's just so much investment in a good book and so much of it like a king is really hard to adapt because 90 percent of the book is in here. You're 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 the narrator. And so how do you get all those little nuances? You know, if it's the scary monster isn't nearly what is so important in uh, the full flavor of a king book. It's the characters and it's what the characters are going through and that inner monologue. And that just doesn't translate in a movie. And then you have some books that are like really kind of crappy and you go, wow. Oh, I see what they got there. They got the nugget, which is, I think, what <laughs> King used to call it in, in Dance Macabre. Yeah. And, and so that works. But then you have a movie and a book like The Exorcist, which is one of the times. I mean, really, Blatty was on to something that is so. And I understand maybe in a more secular world now, it may not seem as profound. But at that time, in the early 70s, when all that stuff was going on, you know, kids revolting against their families, uh, all the institutions are crumbling down. I mean, uh, Rosemary's Baby kind of comments on it early, uh, but The Exorcist really is the, the hammer that everybody hears hit the hit the spike. And uh, it really is uh, a, a book that made me really nervous to even think about. And to think that it's somewhat an uplifting book in, in Blatty's eyes, but it may be the most venal thing. Kind of like, uh, we're gonna have to talk about the, the, the sadness at some point. Kind of like oh. the sadness where you have a, a, a profound energy and emotion that's in the center of that film. But it is one of the more venal films that you'll see. I mean, it really goes off off the rails okay. in the decorum. I mean, you got everything that can offend somebody in that movie and done seriously. You could see trauma turn and just clicking just oh, yeah. a little bit. And many of those scenes would be hilarious. But uh, they went down that path. And I think uh, The Exorcist just had the thing I remember. And you probably remember this too. The first page has nothing to do with the story. You open it up, it's like an FBI informant being tortured, Vietnam uh, priests, you know, getting their ears, they're, they're flayed, and the kids get chopsticks in their ears. All these atrocities just listed. And then it goes, The Exorcist by William Peter Blatt. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, you're immediately off guard, and you're yeah. immediately disturbed, and the nature of evil. I mean, can you have a bigger 
story of a broader, uh, more profound thing to talk about in horror than the nature of evil. So, I mean, if, if Blatty never did anything else, uh, he made a book that truly spoke for the 20th century as far as I'm concerned. And I like that the evil in it is really evil. <clears throat> it's not like something you're going to like laugh at or there's like, yeah. you know, there's no real yeah. redeeming. There's no redeeming uh, value to it. Oh, yeah. And the book is so... I mean, uh, the movie itself, I mean, just the visual images. I mean, everybody talks about movies that can't be made now. I'm pretty sure there are scenes that would have to be cut from The Exorcist just because of the, the sordidness of it, mm -hmm. that there's so many blasphemous things happening all at once. But the book's far worse. I mean, the book to me was, uh, what's amazing about the book versus the movie is how much of an endurance test it is. So the movie encapsulates it like they had one night to have to deal with this thing. But in the book, it goes on for weeks, if I remember yeah. correctly. And they're, every time they get close to saving her, the, the beast just slows her heart down to where she's going to die. And they have to let it stay in her and so it's like this horrible horrible torturous thing it's it's a constant return that makes the, the end even worse because you think there's really even though it's out of her how does she recover for, you know yeah you think the body's just ravished at this point yeah you get exorcist too that's what happened uh, <laughs> that shouldn't happen to anybody <laughs> there there are people who are uh reassessing that movie yeah i, I need I, to watch i haven't watched i actually yeah, I haven't seen it pretty years either yeah. Yeah, as much as I love John Borman, when I first saw it, I was like, going, oh, well, maybe if I close one eye. Maybe... <laughs> Before we get to the sadness, Trista, do you have uh, another question? I do. Yeah. Uh, screaming for Pleasure, you talk about fighting uh, your phobias with horror. And I I'd like to know more about some of your fears or phobias and how that applies to you. Oh boy, that's that's a great one. Uh, thanks again for reading. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the phobias, you know, that chapter almost didn't make it when I had uh, my content editor. They wrote back and they said, if you want to get sued, keep this in the book. I was like, what? And they said, you're making fun out of phobias. Mm -hmm. And somebody's going to, I'm like, okay, so how about if I put a, a little caveat in there that I am not a physician and I am not telling you to get off your meds. This is purely for fun. They're like, okay, that sounds great. I'm like, God damn you gotta be kidding me but uh yeah there's uh my big fear for the longest time there's two uh one is spiders so when i was a kid uh i was helping a tree surgeon uh, work on this big oak tree that was up against a, a stone wall with ivy on it and so i was a skinny little kid and i was only 12 years old and said i'll give you 30 dollars to take this rope and go around and loop it and everything and i'll tie it off i'm like okay that sounds like fun and i'm wearing a uh, Levi Strauss jeans jacket and jeans all that stuff and so I take the rope and I'm going through and I get to the other side and I'm itching like crazy I'm like what in the heck I look head to toe daddy long legs just oh. bouncing all over me and going over my face and I he, he said that I just went went right down oh. I don't remember I don't remember at all and all I know is that from then on I had this real fear of spiders and it was like they knew like I could be with anybody <laughs> And the spider would be there and go and look right at me and hop. 
And so uh, it was like this constant terror. I saw like invasion, uh, worst horror movies, right? I mean, uh, Kingdom of the Spiders, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. In uh, what was an invasion of the spy, uh, the spiders, spider. I want to say spider people. It's not. It's the one with the giant spiders, giant spider invasion. That's what it was. Oh, okay. So, so that movie. Uh, when they had uh, the tarantula fall into the blender while she's making some kind of smoothie and she drinks it. I'm like, we're doomed. So that really got me. And now uh, what ended up happening is I moved the West coast and I was near where uh, Mount Diablo in, in the San Francisco Bay area is where all the tarantulas come to mate. So I went up there and you're just watching this. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, they're not that bad tarantulas for some weird reason in, in a huge amount and also buying a house when you realize that spiders uh eat tarant- uh termites and stuff you start getting a little bit better about them and it was really a meme that changed it was that meme that had like the four squares of a close-up of a spider and it's going hey i just ate all uh, all the uh, termites over here oh thank you i'd love to read a newspaper you know stuff like that or it's actually killing the spiders and i was like you know that's funny and so it got me out of it the other one is demons so when I was a kid, uh, my family was in a, a cult that believed that the world's going to end in 1975. And one of the big things was that they believed that demons were right here, tempting you the whole time. And all they wanted to do was possess you. And that possession was really easy. And I, so I'd be at church and people would be like, oh, yeah, I was on the bus the other day and there was a demon there. I looked over, he had no eyes. Nobody else noticed, but I saw that he had no eyes. And I was like, so I'm like eight hearing this stuff about people coming at you in the park with their hands extended and asking you to come play. They're strangers. And so they were always saying that this was real and they believed very much in idolatry. So anything like the McDonald's, if you ate too much McDonald's, oh, you, you, the sacred M, whatever it fucking might be, it was crazy as batshit, but uh, it was what I lived with. And so demons were very real, which is why the exorcist was so scary. When I finally said, I'm going to read this at night, and see what happens. So I got over this kind of thing, but it's it's kind of like vestigial deep down. There's this genetic thing that was put in me that I still believe in them mm. in some weird way, even, even though I could tell you a million times, all I need is one really scary thing to happen that I can't explain. My brain immediately goes back to the old terror. It's like THC in the fat cells. <laughs> it's like it just every so often burns and comes up. And uh, I had that happen a few times in my life. One, the most intense one I had in a long time was seeing the original paranormal activity. Sight unseen, not knowing what it was. Going in to see that. And it was like literally because it was, it was pure cinema. They just put a camera there and your eyes are just scanning the entire thing the whole time. But it was exactly like my fears. You know, it wasn't like I was going to see a pitchfork thing. It wasn't going to be anything big. It was going to be something that was a predator and I was the prey and it loved stalking me and it loved making me scared and it loved making it so that nobody would believe me. And those were all those crazy things that I had about, about demons. So at the moment when uh, it's day, night, day, night, and I'm freaking out over the nighttime, then they switch it up. And she's like sitting there in the broad daylight. And she goes, it's right next to me. And her hair blows. Uh, and that's when I kind of went into like, a, oh, oh, my God, what's happening here? I had a real quick moment of anxiety and I, I had to laugh it off. But I went home scared. So I had to put in drag me to hell <laughs> to allow myself to get back into the, the humor of it all. 
but I, I walked around the house going, this is crazy. I'm an adult. I, I make a living at this stuff. I don't believe in this stuff. Why am I scared? And it's like, man, when the phobia is in you, it is in you. And so that's one of the reasons that I, I also had that caveat is that I love talking about how people can get uh, claustrophobic watching Jaws and watching Alien. Because as broad as the ocean is, as expansive as the, the outer space is, it's this big too. You, you're in this little ship and everything else kills you. And so you can see forever. When you can't see the exit sign in a room, that's when it's big. And that's when it's also this feeling of uh, claustrophobia. It's like reverse claustrophobia. I have no idea how to get out of here. You may as well have a bunch of blankets tying me up. So uh, I, I, I love talking about that kind of thing in, in, in the book and, and on podcasts occasionally. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> what movie would you say in, well, you said um, paranormal activity, but what movie would you say, in your opinion, not the scariest, but deals the best with demons? Ooh, um, the entity. Have you ever seen Barbara Hershey in the yeah. entity? Yeah. There's something really so unnerving about that because there are moments when I think it, it, the, the thing that scares me the most is the banality of it all, right? It's not like you're going to be in a haunted castle or you're even going to read some kind of sacred rune you're not supposed to and you invite a demon. It's the idea that she's in her house. She's brushing her hair in front of a mirror and all of a sudden she's like, she just feels something weird and she gets punched right in the face, sees nothing. And how disorienting and scary would that be? And then suddenly being picked up and moved and violated. Uh, I can't even think of how horrifying that would be. But in that movie, it doesn't say anything. It's, it's this malevolent evil that's just there existing and seems to relish in her terror and relish in making her seem insane. Like that's the real fun is driving you mad. And so there's a scene in there where they're having a birthday party for the younger child and everything's fun. It's broad daylight. They're in their kitchen. Everybody's laughing. And she walks to go get a knife to cut the cake and she bounces into something. And she's just like, boom, up till then kids don't see anything. Nobody sees anything. It's at night, but she runs right. It's just, it's like it wants to just stand in front of her and say, this is going to be so fun. I can't wait to taste this exquisite terror. And so when it hits, uh, she's just hit like that. And she just, the look in her eyes, it doesn't have to be any bigger than that. Of course, it does get bigger because it's a movie. But that moment right there is what I think really is the scary idea of if there are demons. You are, you are stalked by your own personal hell. You don't have to go to hell. You have this thing which is allowing you a taste of it at that moment and i think uh that movie probably does it better than like the conjuring and stuff like that even though i love those movies for what they are uh, and i think james wan is an underrated director for how he puts scenes together his suspense scenes are really exquisite uh but um i think that that really simple thing of you're in your house and all of a sudden the toaster just raises up and drops down and you're just like, this doesn't compute cognitive dissonance. I, I'm, I'm at a loss. How would you work with that Trista? Because you're an actress. Uh, if you had that kind of thing that you were asked to do, where do you go? It actually uh, was reminding me a little bit of echoes of fear because I yes. think Brian Avenue Bradley and low Avenue Bradley. Yes are really masterful at, at, at that, at those subtleties, you know? Um, yeah. Because just like you were saying with King's work, 
It's the subtleties that lure you in. It's the subtleties that like King's books are my best friends, you know, and then it's, it, it's even more painful when the horror happens. Yeah, I love it because that's a great movie too. Echoes Fears. Like uh, when I first saw it, I saw it at a film festival. And you know, you're at a film festival. Everybody's jaded. We've seen a million of these movies, and a lot of them are well shot, uh, have decent stories. But timing isn't at that exquisite professionalism yet, and so we don't jump very often. And there were two really strong jumps in that movie where I watched a very jaded uh, film uh, festival crowd hop back one, one set of seats because it was just amazing. And, and you scared the shit out of me in the movie. I thought you were seriously in trouble. <laughs> I had the same experience seeing it for the first time as before I even knew Trista was at a film festival and it was the same way, a bunch yeah. of horror fans and, and we all uh, uh, jumped from the movie. Yeah, we're all laughing. We're all like, ah, it's just another film festival thing. Thank God I have this really big pile of popcorn in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> and also the jump scare, a lot of times that's the end, but it actually yeah. keeps going for, for a yeah. bit. You don't see very yeah. often. Yeah, there was a lot in that movie that I really like. I, I love both of the, 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 the co-directors uh, because they really, I think that was their house, but they did such a great, and maybe that's why their sense of space was so good. Uh, a lot of horror movies that you watch, you're like, I have no clue how many rooms there are in this house at this point. There must be 40 rooms in this house. But uh, this one, I had a, an understanding of where everything was. And that made it even creepier when there was a new room, you know, when we're suddenly underneath the house. And you're like, geez, this is so the sense of place, making sure that that's firm. It's, it's like what uh, Savini used to do, you know, before he used the fake axe smack it against some real wood have a real one that you smack against the wood so when it chips people are remembering the chip and then they're like oh wow he's just stuck that in a guy's head and i think if you set up the building when you start making it where it's you're going in places that aren't supposed to be there it works it's like uh the changeling was another one george c scott where that attic is like you know, you're, and, and what was the one uh, Sixth Sense, I guess, where it was the, the door that was hidden behind the yeah, that stuff is, is fucking awesome. Destroy of his, uh, his tortoise? I do. Hal wanted to say hello. Hi, Hal. I How said are you? last time that I would bring Hal on and oh, what she a wants sweetheart. to say hello. Hi, Hal. How, how, how old? Uh, she's six, I think. Six? Oh my gosh, that's like ten seconds. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. it's gonna outlive the union that turtle <laughs> yeah, i don't want to get dark but when troy uh troy and, and b got got the tortoise they had to like uh will it to someone because it will oh geez yeah i'll bet the nephews now they're like how long do you think you're gonna live uncle troy <laughs> well don't push me along too far but you know you guys will have plenty of time with her yeah i remember what was it uh i think it was um Oh, Conan O'Brien used to have a, a bit that he did in the year two. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and one of them goes in the year two thousand. Turtles will live to a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite bits, and then I loved that they kept doing it long after the year two thousand. Yes, <laughs> what a great! I used idea. to be able to do the in, how it did on the show, but I can't get my voice that high anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh i guess troy you have a, a, a an animal there one of the sub genres of horror is uh, oh, yeah. animals attack do you have any favorites in that mm, interesting 
Troy, how about you? Your favorite uh, animals attack horror film? It's a good question. Um, I guess the obvious one would be Jaws. Yeah. yeah. Ultimate monster movie, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to think on that one. I will say I do think Jaws is the rare movie where I think the movie's a lot better than the book. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, I laugh at um, the idea that the book is like, it just drowns, right? They, yeah, they the, like I, I, I was listening to the audiobook. I actually rewound it. I was like, I had to miss something. Did the shark just die? It just <laughs> he died. Just, he just, he just, <laughs> yeah. Not like, to tired. Book, yeah, Oh, just, sorry, folks. If like, anybody what? didn't know that I was just like the a, end of the book. There were only 20 sequels, so maybe <laughs> the shark didn't die. But uh, yeah, that cracks me up. Uh, that book was so bad. I don't know if you saw the documentary about uh, Brian De Palma. But he talks about how he's like, boy, that's cinematic. He's like, uh, when he changes away from books and he's like, he goes, they give me Carrie and I'm reading this book and it's so fucking awesome. And then at the end, mom has a heart attack. She stops her. Well, that's cinematic. Right. <laughs> he's like, so he has to come up with all this stuff. And I just laugh at how he's, he's just fucking so glib about it. He's talking about how he changed uh, Mission Impossible. Like Robert Town wanted the end to be a bunch of guys in a, in a train car pulling masks off each other. He goes, oh, that's cinematic. Masks, love them. Train tracks, love them. They're fantastic. How about we put a helicopter? Oh, Town gets mad and walks out. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's, I, I think Jaws is one of those. I love that you brought up Jaws because Jaws to me is like one of the very few perfect horror films. I, the first 30 minutes is a perfect horror movie or a perfect movie. I mean, I, I can't believe if, if Spielberg didn't do anything else, that would have been an amazing achievement in just doing so much language of film and even ideas that he had that unfortunately he couldn't shoot. Like he had one where, uh, and, and you folks being uh, where you are, cause you're off the Cape, right? Yeah. Sandwich yeah. I'm not very far from where it was shot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, boats and everything where all of a sudden when all those masks start going like this you know the storm is coming and he had a thing that he was trying to do where the shark was going underneath the boats and that's how you knew that uh, that was there and i'm like see that's thinking cinematically it's so freaking cool uh but i uh, jaws is so great i like to look at some of the smaller ones i love the ripoffs of Jaws, like Grizzly. I mean, Grizzly's just fucking astonishing. That scared the hell out of me as a kid. And it's so silly, but it's it's also one of those things where everybody that was in that was a great character actor. So it just kind of added to it. And I also think uh, it was so insane how Jaws, a PG rated film, changed the rating system in its own way. How overnight you could have gallons of blood if you were an independent filmmaker. I mean, if you look at Grizzly, there's a moment where Richard Jekyll is killed. And when they look at him, he's so covered in blood and dirt. He looks like a uh, candy apple with peanuts on it. It's like, my God, you couldn't do this just three years ago. But uh, of course, everybody's like, well, buckets of blood, we can get away with it because Jaws did. And that kind of stayed the course until, well, uh, Temple of Doom really screwed him up. But uh, I think the thing, the thing was where everybody went, oh, okay, I think that's, we're done with the, this crazy gore shit. And uh, people stayed away in droves, except for folks like me and everybody yeah. that had It's Fangoria. weird, that movie, I mean, I, I've always loved it, but it is considered a classic now. But at the time, like, it wasn't well-received by really anybody. No, my dad, uh, he, uh, he, <laughs> he erased it from his mind. 
So it was supposed to be like this bonding with me and my dad. He's going to give me the new movie version of the movie that he had as a child, the 1951 version. And uh, Carpenter at the time was kind of considered like this bridge director. He wasn't really cutting edge gross. He was enough of an old school kind of guy. He looked like Howard Hawk stuff. He kind of had that Western motif that my dad respected that he kind of had restrained stuff, even with the fog and escape from New York and stuff. He was like, ah, oh, this reminds me a little bit of old films, but I love that it was kind of edgy. And so my dad thought, oh, he, this guy knows how to make monster movies. Uh, this is going to be a great movie. And he had seen, you know, on Halloween, they're watching it at, at, on TV, the kids. And so, you know, he's like, oh, he loves Halloween or he loves the thing. This is going to be so great. So my dad had in his mind what the thing would be like. Maybe color <laughs> a little scarier, but not much scarier. And he had no clue that Carpenter was going to do what Hawks was doing. Hawks commented on the Red Scare. He's talking about the other and the Russians. And so you have this monster that the military has to come together and they do. And only one idiot scientist gets in the way, but everybody comes together like them. If you watch them, everybody works together like, holy shit, giant atomic ants. What's the, it's a no brainer. Everybody would stop them from getting to LA. But then you have the new time, the eighties and Carpenter was prescient. He realized that we had crossed over at some point. I think it really was uh, Watergate. Once he, everybody could say the president's a crook but once he's actually called one and it's proven that changes the, 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 the fabric of the country and what, how people feel and a cynicism, whatever you may call it. And so Carpenter was, commenting on that nobody gets along nobody trusts anybody anymore and so my dad's watching this but buckets of blood and he uh, every it was so funny when i went to see it first day with my dad there were so many father-son teams that were there it was like come on boy we're gonna take you to see this movie it's gonna be an instant classic and the dads were mad i thought if there was ever like a con film thing where you hear that they tear up the seats and stuff i thought it was going to be there at the wyoming valley mall uh because the dads were so angry and then afterwards my dad was like it was as if we watched some we walked in a weird porn or something we never speak of this again you know <laughs> this movie shall never be uttered and but i was like it was like a car crash i was in shock you know when norris on the head rolls out the table Complete yeah, shock. It, yeah, it's weird. When I was a kid, I loved it because of all that stuff, and I still love it today because of that stuff. But it's also, you know, I see that it's also a great movie. It's so well acted. Every kind of the perfect. There's no real negative to the movie to me. Yeah. No, I think it's amazing. I think it is. Uh, I, I think that's something. I read a BFI book uh, many years ago in the '90s. They did a BFI about Carpenter because Carpenter was still respected outside of the United States. In the United States, he was kind of a, sh a shemp. They didn't like him at all. And uh, so they did this whole retrospective. They're interviewing him, and they were saying how Carpenter was bored to the interview until they mentioned the thing, and then he leans forward because yeah. it's his favorite. It's the movie that he thought was his best movie. It's the one that he put his all into. He had everything that he needed. It was more expensive. That movie was more expensive than E.T. and Poltergeist of the same year. Wow. Yeah. And so you think about how big of a failure it was. It was a tremendous failure. We hear a $20 million movie. We don't think anything of that now. But uh, Poltergeist and E.T. were $12 and $15, uh, 15 million respectively. And they made big bank so he was fucked right then and there yeah. 
but uh, he he uh, was fascinated by what killed him. He really leaned into the conversation uh, because he had the fans hate him. It wasn't just the critics. It wasn't just the dads. It was like Starlog magazine went out of its way to tell him what a scumbucket he was. Here's what he should be directing more. Traffic, car accidents. They made jokes about it because they thought it was just pure trash. It was a, a, an insult. And I think that's what happens sometimes with great movies, risky movies, especially remakes, because remakes come with a cachet. You know, you're making them because of name recognition and branding for the most part. But you may want to inspire people to see the old one and bring the nugget of something that was great that wasn't in a great movie. Like Cronenberg's The Fly is a great example. The original Fly is like a police procedural. It's a detective <laughs> show with a big bug. And then, but the, the new one is astonishing. So you can take an idea that's kind of trapped in B-movie hell and expand it and make it so great but you also take a risk he didn't go after uh the incredible two-headed transplanter or the tag of 50-foot woman he went after a movie that was the revered film that and forbidden planet were the and day the earth stood still were the 50s movies that were like these are prestige films these are movies that we write millions of books and forey ackerman goes along and does all this stuff because they inspire a generation to look at metaphor and allegory and he does this thing that feels like a total slap in the face to it and so it's an interesting thing. It's a, uh, uh, there's a lot going on with what happened to the, to the thing, because there's a lot going on with the United States at the time and what was happening in, in England as well. You know, we had a big change where we were like, we'll give you sex. You can have the sex comedies, <laughs> but nobody's going to say anything bad about the government anymore. Right. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Yeah. Um, now, uh, Trista, do you need to go? Because I know you had something going on at five or are you good for just a couple more minutes. I'm good for a couple minutes. Yeah. Right. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm oh, it's all good. I, so I didn't want to, you know, get anyone late for anything. But I, but we can always do part two. But before that, I'm happy. I, I do want to ask one thing before uh, before we wrap up though is, um, what is the next thing? Oh, great! All these different things, uh, movies of the time. What, what post COVID? What What do you think the next trend is? Ooh, what a great question. Oh, uh, so it's funny because I'm, I'm doing a podcast about this now, an essay, and I'm starting a new book. Uh, and one of the things is that everybody was going, oh, you must have just loved uh, all the zombie movies. I'm like, fuck no. All that was right on the nose. What interests me is the movies that talk about what happened to us, what the byproduct was mentally, spiritually. So I'm looking at movies that talk more like, like the sadness, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, we may have issues that keep coming because of our lack of uh, belief, something that attacks the limbic system. And you don't even know uh, there was a, a, a movie on the masters of horror set uh, uh, group, the series called the Screwfly solution that did kind of the same thing where there's a disease that made love and hate the same thing. So mm -hmm. men were killing women nonstop. To, and it was this, this disease that was going to end the race because anytime a man would be even remotely sexually attracted, the limbic system would go right to violence and he'd murder them. And it was a terrifying, terrifying idea. I think it was Joe Lansdale's, but it was really, really fantastic. So I'm looking at movies that are saying things like that, like St. Maud, I thought was great because it's really talking about how uh, we're burnt out and trying to find some kind of spirituality, but at the same time, we can be, leave completely in something absolute wrong. 
and kill people because of it and never be able to accept that we did the wrong thing. And uh, I, I really like that Synchronic was uh, set in uh, New Orleans and was talking about how tired first responders were and how drug use went way up. So I expect to see movies that are, I see a couple things. I think bizarro horror is going to become bigger. So things that are almost absurdist, that are funny and horrifying, that really pull away from reality. I think we're going to see a lot of that because reality is so fucking fucked. And I think that it is so crazy right now that the bizarro is starting to become something big. I think we're also going to see because of streaming and uh, video games and creepypastas. I believe that I am seeing an audience that refuses to let go of the narrative to the, the creators. They want to find a middle ground somewhere. They want to be part of that DIY thing. So I, I don't think it'll be like Bandersnatch. I don't think it'll be like Clue where movies will have different endings. I don't know where it's going to go, but the things that are the most popular right now are things like Creepypasta. You bring up Creepypasta at a horror convention, people flock to talk to you about the, uh, the uh, fairy tales that they're inventing and how some of them seem very real. There are different genres inside of Creepypasta. But also... After 1917, I think uh, role-playing games are changing narrative. 1917, to me, is a horror movie, not a war film, and it's, a, uh, it's an RPG. The entire movie is us watching things that only the character can see. At moments, for five, ten minutes, we're walking backwards. We're seeing the, the set as it's growing around the characters, and then... We don't know anything about the Huns. We don't know anything about yeah. World War I more than we knew when we came in. All we know is the one thing. You have to get this note over here. And that movie felt so much like how I felt playing the original Resident Evil. And when you're looking at where narrative is going, there are so many people who have been playing video games together internationally. Things like uh, all of the Silent Hills. Uh, Silent Hill PT, the one that never got made, but was with Guillermo del Toro, that whole test thing. There's no plot. You are dropped right into something, and the plot builds around you. And I'm starting to see that movies are less about exposition and are moving more towards that. So I'm interested to see where we're going to go. I have no clue but I think that the next generation of filmmakers is doing really interesting stuff. We just watched the, we were about to talk about the, the sadness, but we ran out of time because I can't stop talking. But uh, <laughs> that's the, better the than someone who just says yes or no. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's very <laughs> true. But the sadness sets up this really simple premise through animation, right? We're watching cells divide and stuff, but we never really get a whole bunch of information. We hear you know, radios on and stuff like that. Even uh, the remake of Dawn of the Dead did that, where radios yeah. are being turned off and stuff. So we're getting very, very little. We're experiencing more. We're actually, in a way, going towards more pure cinema than we are talking about exposition. What that's going to look like, though, I have no idea, but I'm excited about it because I'm seeing more people going towards foreign films uh, because of the pandemic. I see people, the streaming is allowing more tributaries into the Nile. Uh, there's something for everyone. Uh, and I think unconsciously, whether Mr. and Mrs. America want to admit it, they're allowing the expansion of the definition of horror past their grasp. And it's becoming something that I think is more uh, universal. 
something that is more accepted. Uh, some of us have to stop being uh, gatekeepers because our, our baby is now going out there and getting spanked by everybody. But uh, at the same point, I think there's more benefits that can come from it. And I have no clue. I know that if all I have to do is watch The Exorcist, I can see how narrative has changed radically from when I was a child to when I was an adult to where I am now. So narrative is always changing and being, uh, how could we assume that the, the phones, uh, the games, all of that stuff would not affect cinema when cinema has always been taking in every art form that there is to absorb and create itself. I mean, literally movies, you need every other art form, painting, acting, uh, costumes, uh, lighting, all of that has to happen, science, physics, all that has to be for a movie to be made. And so, of course, as the technology changes, uh, our mindset is going to change. And, you know, maybe I'll be lost watching new movies or maybe I won't. That's why I, ha I actually did the thing that you hear in, in memes. I got a couple mentors that are under 30 because I realized I could spend all day talking about the same 11 fucking movies and I, I'm missing <laughs> an entire I world. I appreciate that. I do both the horror movie and I do a wrestling thing and there's yes! crowds that are the same way as they only want to watch old wrestling from the 80s yep. that they grew up with. And there's right. people that don't want to watch any new stuff, but I, I would, I mean, I love watching old stuff too, but I would yeah. love, to, I love watching new stuff. I may have to ask if you want to be interviewed for a little piece of the book, because I'm looking at all these little facets and horror has invaded wrestling big time. Oh, they're, yeah. making, they're horror movies. They're horror movies. And then all of a sudden there's a ring. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening here so the, the the idea of horror being this thing where you know we're looking at uh, the the superheroes and i think the superheroes definitely help are because they have allowed the pop art and the fine art line to disappear when you start talking about uh, end game like people talked about godfather 2 you know there's a change there's a sea change that happens that we are allowing myth to be part of our movies again that uh you know these uh thor is thor but so and iron man kind of like Apollo. the creepypasta i think those are both our, our legends of today like people yeah. Oh, yeah. stories now people you know read comic books and read stuff on the creepypasta on the internet yeah i think it's great i, I who knows what the the side effects might be like i i say the geeks have finally inherited the earth more's the pity <laughs> yeah I grew, up, I grew up watching you know basket case and playing dungeons and dragons yeah, and chess yeah. club and it was not the coolest kid in the world but today it would be cool <laughs> yeah i love how many times i'm hearing basket case i hope frank Water oh, is smiling yeah. one of my favorites yes yeah it's uh, when i went to i was on a panel at uh at uh, the stoker thing and they were asking about different movies and one of these guys brought up uh basket case and we talked about basket case for like five minutes it's like <laughs> yes basket oh, case yeah. i mean yes, you want, an amazing movie yeah. <laughs> and all these movies they're amazing films i love talking about movies that cost less than a used car and <laughs> and and they have so much uh endurance and it's really the passion of the people who are involved the imagination having to do that because you've got so little and the dedication i mean we're not talking about Texas Chainsaw if we don't have Marilyn Burns being able to deal with what she dealt with or not deal with what she dealt I with. I think it's maybe the best you know, scream queen. You really believe her uh, that she's really gone through yeah. into the depth of madness. Oh, man. And I think they did. 
112 degree weather with stinking burning bones and stuff oh i can't even think about what that was like the theater of cruelty that's a cinema of cruelty that thing and and i think it's one of the best you know uh i i usually ask on my show what your first kiss was what's the first kiss with horror what's the thing that freaked you out so can i hear can you guys give me the gift of your first kisses hmm uh, I've said this many times, but the first one I remember is actually going to see Night of the Living Dead at the drive-in with my older mm. brother here and, and our mom. Uh, you know, she'd take me. Troy was probably, I don't know, 13 or 14. Yeah. And so I was probably like five or something. And uh, But anyway, I remember I was in the drive-in and uh, I remember that I got upset when the when the truck blows up and they started eating everybody. And, my, <laughs> and our mom told me it's okay. They're, uh, they're just having a barbecue. And then I was all right with it. Oh, I love your mom for saying that. That's so. And I want to also double... add uh, the old comic books that are uh, not comic books, the old magazines. Troy would read, uh, like you mentioned, Erie and Fangoria and all those. And two of the two picks, two like uh, visuals from those that always stood out to me was Farmer Vincent and oh yeah, and Martin. Um, oh yeah, and they've yeah. scared me just just of the the uh, pictures of them. And yeah. so when we when we first got a, uh, a VCR and we went to Curtis Mathis, I remember the store to rent our first movies. I told yes. my mom, I need to see Motel Hell because I wanted to see the pig head with the chainsaw. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that's that was I think that's probably the most iconic cover. I mean, out of all of the Fangorias, because that was like, OK, oh, yeah. people have been complaining. Let's just put this chainsawing pig head uh, on, the, on the front cover with blood all around the chainsaw. I mean, there's no subtlety <laughs> whatsoever in that. Uh, I, I remember uh, Phantasm, the open oh, page, a... the two page spread versus the ball in the head. And that was uh, like the first thing I'd ever seen in a magazine like that. I think it was like Fangoria 2. And it just was like, okay, I need to know everything about this movie. I cannot believe that they have a magazine where they're showing a ball drilling into somebody's head. How about you, Troy? I think mine uh, probably like on Creature Double Feature watching like uh, The Wolfman. I think... Mm. uh, It'll be one of the old universal ones anyway. They, yeah. Either the Wolfman or Bride of Frankenstein, something like that. That's and then awesome. I was hooked. I just needed more. <laughs> yeah. I love that you mentioned Wolfman because, you know, the universal ones, I got a little bit scared of Frankenstein, but I empathized <laughs> with them. I, I kind of felt like yep, all of those. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dracula was kind of sexy in a weird way and creepy like an uncle. <laughs> but uh, the one that was scary was the Wolfman just completely unfettered rage child rage right and you can see now how uh you might have been looking at uh, what was going to happen to you when the hormones started to change but man that was so scary it was like my dad had a temper so every time i saw the wolf man it was like whoa that's really you know hitting me here and i love but my favorite now is uh ginger snaps after okay. I saw Ginger Good Snaps, stuff. I was like, how could I have ever not seen this as a woman? It's <laughs> <Yep. laughs> like, even though I love Lyle Talbot, it's like everything <laughs> about that just lines up. The whole idea of the outsider and the, the idea of not being able to speak up and being monstrous when you do is just, uh, it's just yep. fucking amazing. But yeah, but I love Wolf. I love me some Wolfman. <laughs> yeah, I still do. <laughs> yeah. Trista? Oh, mine was Child's Play. Oh. I'm a Chucky girl. Oh, nothing wrong with that. 
no, no. <laughs> that, that's 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 hot. I mean, that, that's one of those that I hear a, a lot. You know, so there's a few. Alien gets said a lot. Uh, Motel Hell, weirdly enough, gets in there every so often because of that magazine. But uh, the Chucky one, I hear a whole lot because you know that Uncanny Valley thing, and everybody had dolls uh, well not everybody but uh a lot of people had dolls and action figures i remember my dad getting mad at me because i wanted a gi joe he's like you're not playing with dolls it's an action figure it's a doll you know (laughs) that old school thing of my father uh but the idea of like my sister's dolls creeped me out you know i I could be in the room if the door closed because of the wind i'd be like oh And so that's, a good that's one of the few things that actually freaked me out in movies as a kid because i had so many action figures as anytime there was like a even in poltergeist like just the yeah. little doll they have because i had a bunch of things in my room like that chucky had one of the greatest jump scares the original film the original child's play when she's holding oh dear <laughs> i thought you were bringing up the doll i'm like here we go this is a nightmare <laughs> 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 but uh yeah when he uh when brad dorf goes you bet oh man i jumped so <laughs> far because they just played it so well just kept you know all that that business moving the doll around and just keeping the camera still on them man that was a great jump yeah well this has been great and i oh, we yeah. have to do it again we'll do that too gotta, gotta get the two, part I too i think you're a perfect fit for everyone here so oh thanks so much this yeah. is fun this thanks, is what i love for do. setting it up uh yes yeah, thank you guys for the show so where can people follow you to see what you're up to well if you're looking for what's going on with me uh hellbentforhire.com is uh, a great starting place you can find out about the books you can find out about the the podcast you can listen to the podcast there uh the podcast is on everything it's spotify etc etc anywhere that you have uh where you listen to your podcast you'll be able to find hellbent for horror if you're looking for something on you know the creaky uh the creaky old uh facebook i'm a hellbent for horror here uh also twitter hellbent horror and the same with instagram hellbent for horror uh and um i have another book that i'm working on right now and it's really about uh how this is uh diy punk rock world uh uh, horror why we love it and why i want more people doing it and why i want new stories and how we can maybe look at new new avenues and find those stories uh told in a different way that'll excite us and and really also own up that we do like jump scares we hate lazy ones <laughs> uh, yeah I agree. here we go i like that I agree, yeah yeah so uh, check out screaming for pleasure i really enjoyed the book not just because thank you, you. and uh thanks yeah, so much yeah and check out the uh the one you mentioned we'll have the link up um where people Spl- can... yeah, shattered and splintered it's called and also ch- not you're not we're not associated with it but check out the sadness it's a great movie it's yeah, yeah. better and you can get the special edition blu-ray from raven banner yeah boy i could go on and on about some great horror films that are happening now part two we'll just have to go there. All right, okay. next that time next good. time yeah all right but Thanks, and, and it's really crazy Pleasure. the sadness is that guy's first uh movie i know that's crazy. i was like holy cow i mean talk about eating cinema <laughs> seeing stuff and going i know exactly what energy that last shot Oh, oh my mind. Yep. Yeah. Great movie. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Thanks again. Good night, everyone. Take care, everyone. Thanks Bye. so much for listening.